The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's pray. Our Father, you're going to ask something of us today, demand something of us that we can never do on our own, uh, but we need this, we want this. So, Lord, we pray for your glory. Um, give us joy. Show us how to be joyful people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're, t- we're talking, obviously, today. Uh, it's our third week in Galatians 5. Uh, if you want to hear a, a sermon on the whole section, that's uh, two weeks ago. It's on our website. Last week, we did the fruit of the Spirit is love. And today, we're tackling the idea that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And uh, I got to tell you, this idea is a bombshell. Um, it's humongous. It's intense. First reason, here's one thing that's true about each one of us, right? We desperately want to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? Of course you do. Of course you do. You want it with all your might. Maybe, maybe some of us, we've given up um, thinking that we can just now. But, but we want it so badly, and it dominates our lives. It, it dominates every choice we make, this desire for joy. Second, the, the quest for happiness doesn't always work out so well, does it? it? We want it so badly, how come it's so hard to find? Uh, in one sense, or, or on one hand, you've got all the sufferings of this life. Well, that, that's a downer, kills happiness. But what about all the times when things are going great? And you can't find any joy in it. Have you ever had that moment? It's all, it's all just right. You can't find any joy in it. And then, and then if you ever get to travel, it's changed my life to be able to travel. Um, I'm, I'm sitting where I am, and I'm, and I'm not happy, and I'm remembering the millions of people who have it so much worse than I do. So much worse. And I've met a lot of them, and they're happier than I am. So let let that blow your mind. Because what do we say? Well, I'd just be happy if. And all of life's experiences, well, not not really. Not necessarily. So I think when it comes to joy, I mean, think about this. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So here's what Paul's saying. If you're a Christian, joy can and should be growing out of you like apples from an apple tree, right? Joy. And as we've been seeing, the fruit of the Spirit is a singular thing. It's the character of Christ. So it's not a fruit buffet, right? Because some of us are like, well, I'll take self-control. I'm pretty good at that. I know a friend who needs some gentleness. And I wish everyone would love me and would just kind of, you know, move the pieces around. It's not like that. The fruit of the one Spirit, the character of Jesus is all of these things. These These are different aspects to a singular fruit, which means that you don't get to go, well, joy's for the other people, but I can't do it. Do you see how this is intense? Plus, uh, do you have an easy button for joy in your life? I mean, love, I can put that into practice fairly quickly whether or not I feel like it, right? I can serve somebody. I can help somebody. The Bible is telling you to be happy. On your market set, Go. How do you do this? How do you see joy, real joy, growing in your life consistently? Well, that's what 
Paul is talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. So here's what we're going to try to do this morning. Four things I, I hope to do with God's help. Number one is see what this joy is. Number two, see our intense need for this joy. Number three, see where this joy comes from. And number four, I want to spend some time thinking with you about how to cultivate it and how to help it grow in your life because you have a part to play. Number one, what's the, what is this joy? Number two, our need for the joy. Number three, where does it come from? Number four, how do we cultivate it? So first, number one, what is this joy from the Holy Spirit? Well, before we get there, let's spend just a, a little bit of time on remembering what joy isn't. Joy is not a fake happiness churches and Christians are accused of sometimes. Um, there's an idea out there in some places that Christians are supposed to levitate through life with like a waxy smile, right? Some TV preachers promote this idea. Always happy, always just... Uh, and so people say, well, I can't go to church. They have it all together. So let's just confess again. Fountain of life, do you have it all together? N no. Are you always floating in the third heaven, rejoicing with the angels? No. So... This is not that kind of fake, everything's great all the time, nothing bothers me, it's not that. Think about Jesus, this is the joy of Jesus, okay? The Bible says these two things about Jesus simultaneously, man of sorrows, and he did everything for joy. Everything for joy, always, always joy, and he's a man of sorrows, sorrowful. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a moment. How does, what is this kind of joy? It, it's not fake. It's not, um, it's not separated from reality. Not at all. It's very real. So it's not fake. But the second thing I want to say is this joy is real happiness. It is real happiness. You've probably heard before, and I think I've actually said this before, that we should see happiness as satisfaction from circumstances while we see joy as satisfaction from God. I think I've said that before, but as I was studying even this week, I was like, I don't think that's true, because I don't think that's how the Bible uses these words. And the danger of thinking that is that you'll be like, well, happiness is where it's at. Happiness I can sink my teeth into when it's delicious food. Joy is like the super spiritual, ghostly thing I'm supposed to have, but I don't know what this is. No. Joy is real happiness. I want to show you two examples from Scripture. So let's get Deuteronomy 16, 15 up there. Look at this. The Bible says, For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in the work of all your hands, so you'll be altogether joyful. So they're going to be what? Altogether joyful. Just, doesn't that sound wonderful? Let's visit there for a while. Totally happy. Why are they happy? Did you notice any happy words in there? Feast? Anybody like feasting? I know you do. Me too. Uh, feasting. How about do you want God to bless you in your produce and the work of your hands? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The money came in. The job worked. Um, you, you have enough. You're rejoicing. Oh, and where are you doing this? with God and his people. So which one is joy? That you're with God 
or that he's blessing everything, or that you're with the people you love. It's all joy. It's all joy. Look at another one. Look at Psalm 4-7. Here the psalmist writes, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So what do you have when your grain and your wine abounds? That means big harvest. Okay, The money came in. Wine. <laughs> Lots of wine. It's a party. That's joy. He doesn't say, they have that and I have something totally different. He says, you give me what? More joy. It's like what they have when the grain and wine abounds. It's just more. It's better. This is not something different than happiness. It is happiness. It is happiness. Real happiness. So what's God calling you to, just to remind you? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. You can somehow have a real happiness. It's not separated from this, it's not separated from reality of the world, but it's real, it's deep, it's strong. So let's unpack joy just for a moment. Uh, here's my little definition. Joy, I think, is a desire for and a delight in something that gives pleasure. Desire for, delight in, two things I want to see is one is it's a desire for. Do you find joy in something you have no desire for? If you don't want it, does it make you happy? I don't think so, because if it makes you happy, guess what? You want it. And this brings up the anticipation part of joy. Can you get a certain kind of joy from knowing something good is coming even when you don't have it yet? Well, of course, have you ever had joy from a vacation that was coming and then you had the vacation and you're like, I think I was happier about the vacation before it happened than I was when it actually happened. Anticipation is joy. I, went on, I got to go on a date with my wife Friday night. It had been too long. I was anticipating that all day long. Um, it's joy. Desire is a part of joy. So the reason you want something is because you've got a taste for it already, right? And then, of course, Delight in something that you get. I don't need to unpack that. Satisfaction. It's a good thing you wanted it, you got it. Sweet. Joy. Okay. But just delighting in something, desiring something good in this earth, that's not really supernatural, is it? Anybody can do that. Um, Christians like sushi. Atheists like sushi. Nothing special. What is the fruit of the Spirit specifically? What is that kind of joy? I like this example from Psalm 63. Let's put that one up. Psalm 63. Look at verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. What's he want? God. I want God. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. What does he want the most? God, it's better than life. I like a lot of things in life, the psalmist would say. I like them a lot. This one's better. Paul says this in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I like a lot of things in life. I like Jesus the most. So it's ultimate joy in God. I think that's important. 
ultimate joy in God. You want him the most. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. In America, we like lean food because we're too fat. In the ancient world, they were too skinny, so they want fat food. That means you're rich, you're eating the best part, the tender part, the delicious part. What's it sound like? All the best is on the table. What's the illustration he uses to talk about his feeling towards having God? A table full of my favorite stuff. God, you satisfy me. What's, what's, what, this is supernatural joy. You want God the most, you want him ultimately, and he satisfies you. He satisfies you in who he is. Desire God, delight in God, ultimately. Do you feel about God like that? Is that the way you feel about God? You want him the most. That's why this topic is kind of devastating. Is he honestly the, the, the one, the thing you want the most? What is this joy of the Spirit? It's to find joy in, which is desire for and delight in, God himself ultimately. He's your best. Okay, the need for joy. Well, you need this intensely. You long to be happy, number one. I'm not going to argue for that. I think it's obvious. You long to be happy. Second, you're made to be happy in God. The reason happiness is so elusive in this life is because, as Bono says, right, you still haven't found what you're looking for. What you're looking for is God himself. Listen to this quote from St. Augustine. Augustine's early life was a mess, and he said it was because he found joy in the wrong things. Look what he wrote. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Who were you made for? You were made to know and enjoy God. The reason life isn't happy is because you haven't struck gold on there yet. You were made for God. You weren't just made for sports or for food or for vacations or for money. It's not enough. It, it, can't, it can't satisfy you. It will never fully satisfy you. It's not what you're made for. You were made for God. This ache in your guts for joy can only be filled in him. This need for joy is intense because you're made for it. Number three. It's also intense because you're commanded to it. You are commanded to rejoice in God. What's, a heart, what's at the heart of worship? I love you the most. I worship you. Isn't the one you love the most the one you worship? Isn't the one you love the most the one you find the most joy in? The heart of worship is joy in God. The reason some of us last through anything is because God is our greatest joy. The reasons others leave is because they were here for something else other than God. He wasn't the best. Is God your best? Uh, this is our third time at this passage. I promise it's the last one, but it's perfect. Look at Jeremiah 2.11. Remember? Remember what God said to his people? My people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Bad trade. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked at this. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord Look at Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two evils. What's the first one? They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So, I mean, here's this pitiful picture. I'm so thirsty. There's the fountain of living waters. I find no joy in it. I don't want it. And where am I going to go? The second evil. Hew out cisterns for themselves, cisterns that hold no water. Imagine this little muddy well with, you know, sand in it. And you're, I, I take more joy in this fake God I've created, 
than in the fountain of living waters. But it's a joy issue. At the heart of our sin, right, in Galatians 5, our problem is the flesh. The heart of the flesh is I don't find joy in God and his ways. I don't want him. I want something else. And here's the hard news. God takes no pleasure in those who find no joy in him. It's heavy. Look what Deuteronomy 28 says. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with what? Joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore, you will serve your enemies. What is going to come on Israel because their lack of joy in God? Judgment. And if you think it sounds harsh, really, I think you actually agree with God on this point. Um, if you're married or you have a girlfriend, do you want a joyless kiss or a joyful kiss? Okay, when my wife kisses me, do I want the, oh, it's the duty, I guess I'll give you one, or do I want the, hey, I want to kiss you right now? Which one do you want? You want the joyful kiss, okay? If I visit you in the hospital and you say, hey, thanks for coming, I say, didn't want to be here, just have to, it's the job. <laughs> You'd say, you're free to leave. <laughs> if I don't take joy in you, I dishonor you. I insult you. I'm trashing you. I don't care about you. You want and expect and hope people will take joy in you, okay? So you already agree with God on this. God's just holy and deserves our passionate joy because of who he is. This one's the heaviest, I think. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Paul's writing this hard church, this hard letter, and he ends with this. It seems to just kind of burst out of him. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be what? A curse. Whoa, what? What did he just say? And the word for love there is more like desire. If you don't, if you don't have desire for Jesus, let him be accursed. Part of, part of faith in Christ, it seems, will be also this love for and desire for Christ. So it totally kills this idea of like Christianity just being a, a trivia question. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Check. Okay, a mental ascent, right? Has never been enough. We know James tells us the devil has better theology than all of us. He's actually seen God. He's been in his presence. What's the difference between you and the devil, hopefully? Among other things, it will be, you want God. He doesn't. You love God. He doesn't. He knows all about God. It does him no good. Joy, it's intense, isn't it? It's intense. And for the Christian life, this is a command. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 17. I'm glad it's just one verse. I guess the verse guy was like, this is enough for you. One verse. 1 Corinthians 5, 16. Rejoice. When? Come on. Come on. Come on. It's ridiculous. That's what we've... It's, doesn't it feel ridiculous? I'm so happy to have been a pastor here for 12 years, and I've heard so many of your stories, and there are plenty of stories in this room that'll deflate joy so quickly. Have you ever had that moment where you can't find a shred of joy? You're barely holding on. 
rejoice, what? Always. Are you kidding me? And I think here we're kind of skeptics. I think Christians are skeptics here. Um, we don't think this is possible. A real happiness, always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Stop it. Stop it, Paul. It's good to remember, uh, does he know what it means to suffer, this dude writing these crazy things? A little bit, right? If he was here mowing the lawn and he took the shirt off, we'd all be like, whoa, <laughs> about his back, which is all ripped up and shredded out because he got whipped 39 times, five times. Um, in prison, people trying to, he, he, knows, he, knows, he knows how to suffer. And he says, always rejoice. Wow. Okay, the need for joy. Do you feel the need? Number one, you deeply want it. You're made for it. Number two, you're commanded to do it. It's not an option. There's no section for the joyless, I don't want God Christian. So this is, wow, joy. It's intense. It's extreme. So where do we find joy? Well, let's just admit we can't get this on our own, right? I cannot do this on my own. It's actually kind of a law, right? Rejoice in God. I haven't. How many of you have defamed God just by being bored with him? I'm telling you, that's, that's would be enough to send me to hell. If, if my only sin on judgment day was I was bored with God in a lot of places, apathetic, did, just didn't care, that would be enough, right? Not to mention all the lists of other things I've done. I can't do this on my own. It's a problem of my flesh, right? We have the flesh lurking in us. Your circumstances want to drive it away. Think about this, this world and its life. What's, every commercial is telling you, right? They're joy evangelists. They know you need joy. What's every commercial telling you? This will make you happy. And how many of those do you see a day? Age of the internet, television, constantly. So this world and all its good stuff is driving you away, right, from joy in God. Oh, I don't need God. I've got an Xbox, I've got satellite TV, air conditioning. It's numbing you away from joy in God, and then there's the suffering. Burning you away from joy in God, hurting you away from joy in God. So between flesh and those two things, how do we do this? Where do we find it? Well, I'm happy to say that joy is a gift from God in the gospel. Joy in God is a gift from God by his grace. You can't do it. You can't do it. earn it, not on your own, but he gives it. He gives it, and he does it by showing you true value, showing you. Look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's talking about preaching the gospel, and he's thinking about why some people don't want it. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul says, of those who don't want the gospel. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing. What's the issue? Seeing. What do they not see? To keep them from, keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He's piling words on. They can't see the light. What, what, is, what does that mean? Uh, light reveals, right? Light is beautiful. So they can hear the ideas of the gospel, but they don't see any beauty to it or excitement to it or need for it. Just meh. 
Light of the glory. What's glory? Beauty, value, worth, excellence. They can't see how awesome Jesus is. Light of the glory of who? Christ. The one who came, the one who lived for you, the one who died on the cross for your sins, the one who rose from the dead. Can't see it. No joy in him. They can hear the ideas, but no joy. But look at verse 6. Look at what God has done and will do for every one of his people. Verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, what did he say? Let light shine out of darkness. What does that remind you of? Let there be light. He's making the world. And what happens? Bam! Light. Let there be light. What did God do in your heart? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This happened to you when you became a Christian. The light went on. What did you see about Jesus? I want him. I need him. He's everything. He's ultimate. I got to have him. Jesus, he's glorious. Did you do that or did God do it for you? God did it. He shined the light. Same power that made creation made the new creation in you. Let light shine. And now look at our response. Look at Matthew 13, 44. It's amazing what Jesus says about himself. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Treasure. Does treasure make you happy? You think it does, right? What can you do with treasure? I mean, treasure is just awesome. You can provide for yourself and for your family. That's good. It makes me happy. You can, you can provide all sorts of physical pleasures. Awesome. Makes me happy. Not only that, there's these heart needs. When you have treasure, you have like security. You think you'll be okay. You have status. Hey, I have treasure. I am somebody. All sorts of joys that come out of treasure. Jesus says, I'm like that. I'm like when a man's in a field, he discovers treasure. And then he goes, what does he do in this little parable? He sells all he has. Did did he find any joy in all that other stuff, all that he has? At least some, he had it, but what's he willing to do with it now? I don't even, I've got the treasure now. And Jesus is saying, that's what it's like when people come to me. Jesus is saying, I'm the treasure, I'm the joy, I'm the happiness, and it's a gift. God opens your eyes to see it's a gift. That's a picture of conversion. Not only that, what does Paul call this? Does he, in Galatians 5, does he say, the work of the Spirit is joy? No. In a work, you're trying to do something, scratch something, make something, create something. But fruit, can you create fruit? No. There's a seed already. There's water already. There's sun already. A whole bunch of stuff you can't do. You didn't have any hands on. And it grows organically. It grows naturally. Now, can you cultivate fruit? Can you help it grow? Yeah. But do you create it? No. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift. It's grace. So even living in joy now, right, it's not going to be something that you can do on your own. Where are you going to get it? The grace of the gospel. God gives joy. In the gospel, God gives it. It's a fruit. 
It's a joy. It's the desire for and delight ultimately in God, and we need it because we long for it. We're made for it. We're commanded to it. Where do we get it? We receive it as a gift of grace in the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done. Is that enough? Can Jesus really do that? Is he really better? That's a test of your heart. Is, he re- is Jesus really better? Now we're supposed to cultivate joy. Cultivate joy. Well, how do you, how do, you do this? In, in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit, right? Keep in step with the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And that's how you'll see fruit grow out of you. I want to remind you of the definition I gave on, on what walking by the Spirit looks like. Constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit, right? Because he's with you. He's a paraclete. He's the helper. He's there. Rely on him. Constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit. Two, trust the gospel promises of the Spirit. The Spirit wrote a book, right, with all sorts of delicious stuff in there for you. Trust those promises. Prayer, looks like. Rely on the Spirit. Pray. Trust the gospel promises. Word. And then engage the power of the Spirit. What do you do with the flesh? Keep a little for later. Now, what do you, what do, you do with it? It's kind of gnarly, right? Crucify it kill it, and then what do you cultivate? The fruit. Rely, constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit, trust the promises of the Spirit, the gospel promises, and engage with his power to kill flesh and cultivate joy. How, how, how does this happen? How do you cultivate joy? Well, I think if we're relying on the Spirit, we pray. Look, isn't that where you need to start? What do you do when you find, I don't have any joy in God right now? Because let's just go ahead and admit, that happens. That happens. I don't feel any joy in God right now. I don't feel any joy in serving God right now. And I know I'm supposed to. What do you do? Pray. Help me, God. Give me joy in you. Show me. Enable me. I cannot do this. I cannot make it. I'm dependent on you. Humble yourself. Pray. In Psalm 51, 12, look what David says. It's a biblical prayer. Restore to me what? The joy of your salvation. I need this God. Give it to me. Pray. Secondly, if we're trusting the gospel promises, that's going to affect our perspective. How do we cultivate joy? Part of it is our perspective. Now, I want to think everyday life with you. What about when you get to go out to lunch with your friend? Should that be an episode of joy in God or just joy in the, in the eats? I think part of what we need to do with cultivating joy is not seeing it as this spiritual thing that's over here, while we may or may not have good or bad things in our lives. Because it's ultimate joy, it's in all of these things. So you get to go, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite, you know, you're going to go with your friend. Look at these two verses together, James 1, 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17. James 1, first of all. Every good gift, every perfect gift, where's it from? It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you believe that every good thing you've ever tasted was a gift from God? What's the cynic saying? Hey, wait a second, I worked hard, I made my money, I bought this. It's not a gift from God, I did this. 
If you're an atheist, if you're an atheist that's fine. But you've got other problems. If you're a believer that... Again, you, you ever traveled? You ever been in poverty? You ever seen people work hard and have nothing for it? You think you're special because you worked hard? I mean, you are. I'm not, I'm not dissing working hard. Praise God. I'm glad you work hard. But do you think that everybody who works hard gets all sorts of good stuff coming to them? Because that is not true. That is not true. In an agricultural world, do you think people work hard and get nothing coming out of the ground? Yeah. Do you think, it's on, do you think the world works based only on your work? Or is there a host of other gracious things happening all the time that enable you to get anything out of your work? And, and why did God put you in a place where you'd be taught how to work hard, or you'd be educated and able to, in, in order to work harder, or even connected to this great company where you could work and your hard work would pay off? That's a gift. It's all a gift. And when you see everything as a gift, even when you eat the most delicious food, where is it from? It's from God. Wouldn't that change the way we pray? Sometimes we're like, dear Lord, thanks for the food. Amen. Glad that's over. Let's eat. If you knew it was a gift, God, thank you. Not only that, look at 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, that's me and you, by the way, charge them not to be haughty, so don't be cocky, because we can think, hey, I did this. Look at me, right? Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, See, riches can give you some joy, but what's the problem with them? Uncertainty. But rather set your hope on God, and look at what God does for us. He richly provides us with everything. For what reason? To do what? Enjoy. So some of us grew up in Christian traditions where it's like, if you felt happy about something that wasn't God, you're sinning. Legalistic, don't get too happy now. Why did God, every, why did God make everything good on this earth? To enjoy it. You're supposed to enjoy it. And, and why do you think he did this for you? If I give uh, roses to my wife, actually, I don't do that anymore because she's like, roses die, give me a plant that will live. But for illustration, if I give roses to my, li- to my wife, do I want her to take the roses and run off into her room, lock the door and be like, roses, I love roses. And I'm like, I gave her a gift. What's the point? Do I want her to enjoy the gift? Yeah, but what do I want her to really enjoy? The giver of the gift. Do you think that's true for God? He wants you to enjoy his gift. Enjoy it. How many gifts of his do you have to enjoy on this bright, sunny Southern California afternoon? You're overflowing with them. Overflowing. Is the echo of who he is in any of them for you? Are you like, God just feels far away. I don't think he loves me. I've got no joy in him. You're ignoring scads of messages. I'm good. Look what I'm giving you. If we were able to enjoy good things in our lives the way God has designed us to, it would increase our joy in God, right? Because we want to cultivate joy in God. It's perspective. Perspective on the good things. Not only that, we need a long-term perspective. There are other days, right, when the good things are swallowed up by really hard, evil things. That's why we need a long-term perspective. Look what Paul says in Romans 5, 2. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into what? 
this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in what? Hope of the glory of God. Hope is an interesting word. What does hope mean? It's not an insecure, I don't think this will happen hope, buy a lottery ticket, I hope I'll win, no. It's a for certain this is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And so I'm going to rejoice in the hope. So there's this kind of joy where you don't have it yet, and so you still hurt, but you know it's coming. That kind of a joy. Sometimes that's all you have, future perspective joy. So there are times, right, in this moment, everything rots. It's terrible. As the psalmist says, the food I eat has no taste. But there's still joy even then. Where? Long-term perspective. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's coming. Everything Jesus has done for me, I'm going to taste it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be there. Look at these words, 2 Corinthians 6.10. This is Jesus. This is the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What is this weird situation? I don't think the world gets this. You're either sorrowful or you're rejoicing, and you're back and forth based on what's happening. Sorrowful, now rejoicing. Christians, we're rocking both all the time. I think Christians are more sorrowful than everybody else because we're supposed to care more. We should be more loving And the more loving we are, the more we're going to hurt for what's going on out there. We're sorrowful. If you're in a community and you care about people, maybe your life is fine, but you're hurting because their life is hurting. We're sorrowful. Paul says, I'm sorrowful, and yet I'm always what? I'm always rejoicing because who God is and what he's done for me and what he will give me and his everyday good blessings to me are always there. I can always rejoice in them. So which one are you, sorrowful or rejoicing? Yeah. That's how you rejoice always. So sometimes we think rejoicing always means never sorrowful, and we're like, I can't do it. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to always find your joy ultimately in God himself and see joy in God in the good things he gives you and rely on joy in God in all the hosts of sorrowful things as well. It's your perspective Your perspective, we're talking about cultivating joy, you need a perspective on the good things he gives you, long-term perspective on what he's going to give you, and three, you've got to look at the word, your perspective has to look at the word. Look at Romans 15, 4, this amazing promise, you didn't know that the Old Testament was written for you. Look at this, for whatever was written in former days was written for what? Our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Now plug this in. Romans 5.2, we rejoice in hope. And what does the scripture encourage you with? Hope. If you need joy, you got to get your head in the word. It was written to encourage you, to give you hope. Hope in God, who he is, what he does for his people, what he will do. Get your head in the word. Perspective. Cultivate joy in your perspective. Second way to cultivate joy. Remember, we need joy. We're commanded to it. It's a gift from God, but we want to cultivate it. Second way we cultivate joy is through obedience. Obedience. Is that what you're hoping for? You know, people use the word sexy to talk about like car sales, beer. 
it means exciting. You know, on talk shows, they're like, this won't be very sexy, but I'm, you know, obedience. It's not like a sexy topic, right? Obedience. Everybody's just like, drab. You can't have joy in God without obedience. And joy in God will give you obedience, no, obedience will give you joy in God like you never thought. Obedience. Look at this. Again, Psalm 51, 12. Do you know why David is writing Psalm 51? He messed some things up. You remember? Uh, he's supposed to be out to war, and instead he's kicking it on his couch. He's being lazy. He's not finding any joy in what he's supposed to be doing. And what happens to you when you're lazy? You're bored, right? And what do you start looking for? I need something to, I need some joy here. I need some happiness. So it's danger, danger zone. I'll get on the internet. Okay, David got on his internet, which meant look out the window at all the rooftops. And what did he see on his internet, just like we would see on our internet? Bathsheba's taking a bath. I want that. His friends are like, yo, that's Uriah's wife. You know Uriah. That's, not, that's Uriah's wife. He's like, I want that. Where's his joy in God in that moment? Where is God in that moment? David's an atheist right there, practical atheist. I need this to make me happy, even if it burns up the whole show. And so sin builds on sin, and there's lies and deceit, and there's murder. And in the end, the prophet comes in and like, you've wrecked this man. David repents, and Psalm 51 is part of this repentance. And what does he say, 51? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. What's the connection between joy in God and a willingness to obey? It's everything. The reason we don't want to obey is we don't think it'll make us happy. We don't think God will make us happy. It'll be better for me if I say this or do this or practice this. And David's praying, God, make me joyful so I'll obey you. Bring me back. So you got to ask yourself, are you practicing sin right now? Behavior in your life, you know it's contrary to God's word. You know it's contrary to what Jesus has for you. If you're like, I just don't have any joy in God. You know, if we were, if we were sitting and drinking coffee somewhere and somebody, I just don't feel God's presence. I don't find any joy in God. You know, the, the obvious questions are, are you part of a church? Are, are you getting in gospel promises? Are you hearing the word of God? And the other one is, are you living in obedience to God? If you're living in hypocrisy, you won't find joy in God. I know this from experience. I've done it. And I know this from being a pastor, we've done it. You want joy in God? Repent. Submit your whole self to him. Where are you running? Where are you in rebellion? Obedience. Not only that, uh, remember Paul tells us as we walk by the spirit, we want to kill the flesh, right? Um, what are some episodes of flesh that are kind of contrary to the idea of joy? Well, look at this one. You all ready to have your hands slapped? Me too. Let's hold out our hands. Here it comes. Philippians 2.14. You ready? Do all things without grumbling, or you could say complaining. Oh, my gosh. Really? Come on. The most Christian of us, the most servant-hearted of us, well, we, can, we can let people know what we think sometimes, can't we? This... Um, 
Do complaining and joy go well together? Kind of not at all. Kind of not. Look at what Jerry Bridges says. This is a little, little spanking here. Jerry Bridges, I like this guy. Went to be with the Lord not too long ago. Great writer. He says, It is both our privilege and our duty to be joyful. To be joyless is to dishonor God, to deny his love and his control over our lives. It is practical atheism. To be joyful is to experience the power of the Holy Spirit within us and to say to a watching world, Our God reigns. That's right. That's right. You know, it's important, right, for the world to see that we love one another. That's so biblical. It shows that we're Christians, the way we love one another. Isn't it important for the world to see our joy in God? If we're not happy in God, what's the point, right? What would the world say? You know, they, they see you murking along, complaining. I thought you were a Christian. Oh, I am. It just doesn't do anything for me. You want to be one too? <laughs> yeah. No. What do you do with complaining? What do you do with your self-pity? Anybody ever feel self-pity? It feels good in a weird way, right? It's the opposite of self it, it's it's another version of self-righteousness just on the negative end. Self-righteousness, I did something great, I should be praised. Self-pity, I'm a victim, I should be praised. But it's still about Self. That's flesh, right? And it's not joy in God. Listen, is the story of your life one of total failure and victimization as a Christian? Or is it one of total, like, you are the luckiest, most fortunate, most blessed person to live? Which one is it? If you believe gospel promises, you have it so good, it's, un- it's unbelievable. Remember, you're going to inherit the world. You're going to inherit God. You're going to live forever with him. You have his presence with you. He has made you an inheritor. Wow. Let's kill complaining. Let's kill self-pity. Last one for the day. Remember, obedience cultivates joy. Look at John 15, 9 to 11. Will you read this with me? Enjoy this with me. Let's read it all together. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Church, how much are you loved? Verse 9. Well, the answer to that question is, how much does the Father love Jesus? And that, you can't really reach the depths of that. It's eternal, white, hot, perfect love. And Jesus actually, isn't this mind-blowing? As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, that's how I love you. That's how I love you. I delight in you. I enjoy you. I want to be with you forever. I love you so much. I love you. Listen, if you believe that, what's happening in your heart already? Joy, man, that's good. Abide in my love. Where does he want you to stay? Right here, under his arm. Stay right here in my love. I love you, is what he's saying. 
I love you. And the way to stay, verse 10, is what? If you keep my commandments, trust me, listen to me, follow me, obey me. That's what I did in my father's love, right? Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I stayed in his love by obeying him. You stay in my love by obeying me. And this is why I'm telling you this, Jesus says. These things I've spoken to you. Why? That my joy may be in you. How happy is Jesus? How happy is he? I'd submit to you there's no one happier than God. No one infinitely, perfectly, ridiculously happy in who he is. And Jesus says, my joy will be in you. And your joy will be what? Full. Full joy in abiding in and obeying Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The Spirit's joy is desire for and delight in God ultimately. You need this desperately. You need it. And you have it as a gift of God's grace in the gospel. He has given it to you, and he will again. So cultivate joy as you walk by the Spirit. Cultivate it. Pray for it. Cultivate it in your perspective, how you see good things, how you see sorrows, how you see what's coming in the future, and cultivate it in obedience as you follow him. Because it's Jesus' desire for us. Yeah, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, this is hard for us. We need your joy. Confess how often we don't have it. Will you give it to us again? I pray for anybody in who is not a Christian, and maybe they're like, I, I need Jesus, I want him. Lord, show them that you'd be happy to give yourself to them. Let them trust in you. And Lord, for, for those of us who are believers, God, we, we want more joy. We want the world to see how awesome you are to us. So please give us more. Give us more. Help us to cultivate joy in you every day, all the time, and help us to be examples of joy in you to the world around us. And Lord, help us to follow you close, to abide in your love, and let your joy be full in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.